You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, If you're not already in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, turn there uh, because we're going to look at it uh, today. Uh, We're not going to stay in this passage, uh, but I want to use it sort of as a launching point for us uh, in what we're talking about today. Let me just reread the the, uh, final verse there uh, that that was just read in that passage, verse 27 in, in chapter 12. Listen to this. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so what Paul is doing here is he's giving the Corinthians a sort of a two-part identity statement. He's saying you, plural, y'all, are the body of Christ. And then he's saying, so that's your collective identity. Uh, But then he's saying you have an individual identity. Individually, you are members uh, of it, right? Uh, and, and so this image in 1 Corinthians 12 is one, is one of the most important images in the Bible for helping us understand what the church is and how the church works. Just a couple of observations from that text that was just read. Number one, uh, the body is undivided. You see it in verse 25 there, that there may, may be no division uh, in the body. And so each member is committed to the body and the body is committed to each member. There's no division. Now, the second observation is this. For the body to work the way it's supposed to, every member has to contribute, right? Every member has a part to play, right? So commitment and contribution, that is the role of each member in the body, commitment and contribution. And when that's happening, it's a beautiful thing, right? For example, you think about two eyes uh, that are a part of a body and two eyes that are doing what they're supposed to do. that is beautiful uh, on a number of levels. For one, you might look at someone and say, you have beautiful eyes. Because the very appearance of someone's eyes can be just piercing, right? Or, or stunning. But it's also beautiful when you think about what those eyes are doing and how that they, they function, just the complexity of them, right? How finely tuned they are. What, what they're doing and allowing us to take in the goodness of the world, color and light and diverse images and information. It's, it's tr- eyes are truly beautiful. Now, if I took those same two eyes and I laid them on the piano over here by themselves, you would never describe them as beautiful, would you? Like two eyeballs on the piano over there. Like you would say that's grotesque. That's like the stuff of horror movies. Two eyeballs, that's gross because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be committed to a body and contributing to a body. That's beautiful. Membership is beautiful in a body because that's the way God has designed it. When there's commitment and contribution, it's beautiful. Uh, We're in the fourth week uh, of looking at the church And we've paused uh, in our study of of the book of Colossians at at chapter 3, verse 4, where it says, Christ is your life. And we've asked this question, if Christ is my life, what does that mean practically in my daily life? And our our suggestion has been to live that out practically, that Christ is your life. The way you have to do that is you have to organize your life around his church, around his body. And that doesn't mean 
that you, you spend all your spare minutes and all your spare money and all your spare effort on church activities. What it does mean is that you have these little anchor points, certain anchor points. And what an anchor point is, is just a, it's just a moment or a time of direct and intentional Godwardness that helps you have unintentional Godwardness in all the rest of your life, right? And so as we've looked at the church, we've had kind of this funnel of increasing commitment, right? So the first week we looked at the, broadly at the universal church and we said, if you're a Christian, you are part of the church, Christ's body, it, it, by definition. And then the commitment got a little more uh, increased as we went down the funnel. The first anchor point we looked at was gathered worship, worship, which is where you are right now. Uh, it's just a, a weekly coming together to be renewed in Christ. And it involves a commitment of a couple hours a week of your time. Last week, we looked at gospel community, which is a structure, a small group structure that helps you live for others, helps you do life and grow with others. It involves a little bit more of a commitment, doesn't it? Not just time, but you have to actually have to be committed to being in the lives of other people. Today, this last anchor we're looking at, this anchor point we're looking at is church membership. And church membership is the most formal commitment uh, of the three, uh, because this is, when, when you become a member of a church, you're, say, you're saying, I'm bringing my life under the authority of a particular local church and saying, I'm committed to this church. Now, I realize that if you're in my generation uh, or younger, which is almost everyone in the room, uh, we've got commitment issues, right? We have authority issues. I was born in 1968, which was the height of the anti-establishment, don't tell me how to live my life, I don't trust authority era, right? All of us in the room have grown up in the era of individualism and autonomy and choices and being told, be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, but whatever you do, be happy. And as you approach the buffet line of choices in your life, make the choices that make you most happy. And so I realize when you hear this term, church membership, you might feel sort of a gut resistance to it. Because you may be thinking, you know what, I'm a member of the, I'm a Christian, so I'm a, I'm a member of the universal church of, of Christ. Why do I have to be, why do I have to commit to a local church? Um, and you might be thinking, well, that sounds too organized. That sounds too authoritarian. That sounds too limiting in my options. Uh, many of you are familiar with uh, the novels of Wendell Berry, uh, which take place in a small Kentucky farming community uh, uh, called Port William. It's a, it's a fictional uh, small town. Uh, the most famous uh, William Berry novel is called Jaber Crow. Maybe you've read it. Uh, Jaber Crow is the story of the barber, the only barber in Port William, and, and that's, it's, it's about his life and his experience in this little town. And there's a, a pastor named Matt McCullough who wrote a, a great little article about uh, Wendell Berry novels and how Wendell's novels uh, really give a beautiful vision of what it means to be a member of a community. And this is uh, what he says, Matt McCullough says in the article. He says, Wendell Berry's works portray the beauty of a bounded life, a death to the options of elsewhere, the embrace of a concrete place in its people. It's no accident that Jaber Crow is subtitled The Port William Membership. Barry's novels are especially useful for illustrating the liberating submission that's always involved with membership. I love so many phrases in that little quote. 
Uh, because the, the, all of those phrases are counterintuitive, right? And they challenge my natural sensibilities in, in really healthy ways. The beauty of a bounded life, meaning a life with limits. A death to the options of elsewhere, meaning I'm cutting off my options and I'm not constantly looking for something better. The liberating submission of membership, meaning could there actually be freedom in submitting myself? When you read the New Testament, formal, formal church membership is never explicit there. You can't find a verse in there that tells you how to do church membership. But as you read the New Testament, you begin to see that church, that, that membership in a local church is just assumed, right? It's like the Trinity. You can scour your Bible and you will never find the word Trinity in there. And yet the fact that God is triune is just assumed there. And God is always presented in that way as our triune God. The Bible assumes that Christians are members in a local church because it's the only way to live out what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Like what Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 is real. It's not just theoretical. And it's meant to be lived out in real ways through membership in the real local church in the city of Corinth. Now what I'm not trying to do over the next few minutes is talk you into church membership. I'm not trying to get you to join Providence Church. Most of you are already convinced that church membership is an important thing. A bunch of y'all are already members uh, of Providence Church. What I want you to see today is why we emphasize membership at Providence, and then I want you to see the beauty of it, the beauty of a bounded life. Because membership uniquely allows the church to be all that she's meant to be. See, membership is beautiful because it promotes care, it provides correction, and it, and it exalts and images Christ, right? Care, correction, Christ. And I just want to take a few minutes to look at those three beautiful aspects of membership, care, correction, Christ. The first two, care and correction, come from a definition of love that we talk about in the membership process. Right now, there's 22 people going through the membership process at Providence, and we always tell them... Uh, this definition, love equals care plus correction, right? You can't have true and complete love if you don't have both care and correction. That's actually how God loves us. He cares for his people and then he corrects his people. And so church membership is meant to reflect the love of God for his people. All right, let's look at the first one. Membership is beautiful because it promotes care. And we see it right there in 1 Corinthians uh, verse uh, 12, verse 25 and 26. Look at those verses. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Right, so when we talk about care, in the local church, we mean that the church provides covering uh, for its members, shelter from the storms of life. It looks, the church looks out for her members, uh, promotes their good, feeds them, sustains them, nourishes them, right? No Christian should ever be left alone just kind of flapping in the wind, having to care for themselves, trying to figure out how to walk with God by themselves. Every Christian needs the covering and care of the local church. Now, God makes this really clear, really obvious in the way, in what he calls his, the leaders of the church to do. 
Flip, if you have a Bible, flip over to the left to Acts chapter 20. I want you to see what he calls the leaders of his church to do. Acts chapter 20. This is all also Paul speaking, he's, and he's talking to the elders uh, at the church in the city of Ephesus, the local church there. And he says this, Acts 20, verse 28. Elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, literally to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so the elders are supposed to pay careful attention to the flock and to care for the flock. Now, which flock? Well, the flock over which God has made them overseers, right? It's not that the elders aren't supposed to care for all people, love all people. They're supposed to be caring, loving people to whoever they run across, but they have, they have a responsibility to care for a particular group of people. They have an accountability, actually, to care for and shepherd a particular group of people. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, and it says it to all Christians. Christians, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Why would we do that? Well, for their, because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And do you see how that verse assumes church membership? The leaders of every church are going to have to give an account to God for everyone under their care. But how do they know who that is? Like, I'm a pastor uh, in Austin, Texas. Will I have to give an account for the lives and the spiritual well-being of every Christian in Austin, Texas? Do I have to give an account for the caring of, of the souls of every person who walks through those doors to worship in this church ever? Well, I don't think so. Because how would I know even who all those people are? I can only be held accountable for that which I know. Which is why church membership is so important. Meaning, I can only be responsible and accountable for those who have entrusted themselves to the care of this church. Now, care is not just for the leaders of the church. It's actually for everyone to be involved in. There's a great picture of this in Acts chapter 2. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, it says this. All the believers were together in one place. So, some about a local church, not, not the universal church. Not something theoretical. They were together in one place. There was a locale. And they shared everything they had. And they were selling their possessions and they were distributing the proceeds to anyone who had need. That's pretty cool. I mean, that kind of care feels right, doesn't it? And yet for that kind of care to happen, then each of the members would have to be committed to the welfare of the body. Like, they're willing to give up their stuff for the good of the body. They're willing to, to share their spiritual gifts for the good of the body. And they actually have to know who the body is. They have to be able to answer the question, who is, the ch- who is in the church? And, and what are the needs? And so it assumes some sort of structure of church membership where people know who the body is and what the needs are. But they're called to care for one another. When I think of uh, what it looks like to care for a church or for a church to care for its members, uh, I always think of uh, this woman named Denise. Denise was a member of, uh, of my previous church. Uh, she was a single mom of a 15-year-old son. Uh, the dad was gone, out of the picture completely. And Denise had cancer, and she was dying of cancer, actually. 
Uh, and I remember one, uh, one Saturday we had a yard work day for Denise and there was a bunch of us out there working in her yard and she kept coming out to thank us. And she had this beaming smile, which she always had on her face. Uh, but we knew that that smile masked incredible pain in her life. In fact, she told my wife that day that her arms and her hands were always burning because of the treatment that she was getting. And she was in incredible, horrible pain that she could never get away from. And uh, I remember one Sunday, about 30 of us gathered after church, and we gathered around Denise to pray. Uh, and in accordance with James chapter 5, the elders anointed her with, her with oil, and then we gathered around her, and we laid our hands on her, and we began to pray. And many of us prayed through tears, and we were begging God uh, to heal her. And there were times where, where Denise would, would weep out loud. And then there were times where she'd laugh and make a joke during the prayer because someone would pray something nice about her. And she just, just kind of wanted to deflect that. And I remember that day, my, I, I, had, I only had two daughters uh, at the time and they were little and they were standing there and they were kind of holding onto my legs, taking all that in and observing what it was happening. And I remember distinctly thinking, this is the church, right? This is the church, a community of imperfect people caring for one who is deeply hurting, weeping for her pain, and seeking the only one who can bring ultimate healing. I thought, this is the church. And Denise died a few months later. And one of the families in the church took her son as one of their own into, into their home. And I thought, that's the church. See, Denise suffered and she died, but she did not suffer and die alone. She was literally surrounded by a family that believed the gospel with her and for her and lived out the gospel to her. That's care. Membership is beautiful because it promotes that kind of care. It's a commitment to care. But membership is also beautiful because it provides correction in our lives. And correction may not sound beautiful to you, right? Because honestly, does anyone want to get corrected, like ever? Does anyone ever say, could you please bring more correction into my life? I I need you to correct me more often. Uh, But uh, if I don't have correction, I don't have complete love, do I? Or true love. Hebrews chapter 12 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. How do you know if you're, you're his child? Well, one of the marks that you're his child is he disciplines you. He corrects you, so to speak. Now, how does God bring about this correction or discipline in our life? What form does it usually take? Does he just kind of zap you when you're in sin? Is that how he corrects you? It's like, well, Todd's being kind of prideful today. Let's see how he likes the stomach flu. Right? Zap. Kendall's being kind of impatient. Let's see if, how, he, how he likes it if I, you know, kill his car battery, right? Is that how God disciplines us? Is that the form of correction that God's discipline usually takes, a form of punishment uh, in our life? It's interesting the word discipline uh, is also translated in the New Testament as, as the word training. You see it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, training and righteousness. And, and when you think of it like that, uh, then discipline is not so much a form of correction that is punitive, like punishment, uh, it, it's restorative, isn't it? Right? It, it, God, is, God is trying to restore us to the path of righteousness. 
when he corrects us. Now, God can certainly work in correcting you through your circumstances. He can give you the, the dead car battery if he wants to. But I think the normative way that God corrects us is through the church, through his people. I want you to consider one passage uh, about this. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, this is the words of Jesus on this. Matthew 18. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So just have a one-on-one meeting. And if he listens to you, correction has happened. Everything's back on track, right? Well, what if that doesn't work? Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so involve a smaller group of people from the church uh, in this if your brother doesn't listen to you. Why? Well, because you're taking sin seriously. You love your brother and you want them to be restored. Well, what if that doesn't work? Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if if, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, let him be... Uh, as an unbeliever to you. So the final court of appeals here is the church. Do you see how that assumes church membership? I mean, how could you ever apply this if you don't know who the church is? Like, if there's no local church membership, then how do you, how do you define the group that's going to deal with this really weighty matter of, re- of correcting an unrepentant brother? Like if someone, if, if someone in Providence is in unrepentant sin, should I go tell the elders over at the Austin Stone? Right, that's the church. Should I involve the rector at Christ Church or the pastors out at the Austin Ridge? I mean, that's the church. No, that's ludicrous. We, we know what it means when it says tell it to the church here. It means our local church. Membership is implied. And if, the, if the, and if the unrepentant brother refused to listen to the church to turn from his sin, then we're to treat him as a non-believer, which doesn't mean ignore him. <laughs> it doesn't mean be mean to him. How do you treat non-believers? You try to win them to Christ. You try to restore them and bring them into the church. But for the time being, they're acting as if they're not a part of the church. See how that works? Only membership in a local church provides the means for this kind of correction and and this kind of restoration. Now, as Christians, there's lots of different ways we might need correction. Uh, We might need correction in in moral error or sin. You know, love does not allow sin to go unchecked. Love doesn't say, you know, I know you're doing things that are really harmful in your life and the lives of others, but no big deal. You be you. That's none of my business. If a member of this church is cheating on his wife. I can't stay on the sidelines. I have to enter. I can't say no big deal, none of my business. I have to enter in for their good and correction. If I'm the one in sin, then I need the church to enter in. I may not want it, but I need it for my good. We need correction for theological error. So if a member of our church says, you know what, I'm not really sure Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't really think it's all that important because at least he taught about love. I can't stay on the sidelines if a member of our church is going around saying that. 
I got to enter, enter in for, and, and correct for that person's good. And if I'm in theological error, I need somebody to enter in and tell me and bring correction. Membership provides for that. I think Christians uh, a lot of times say they want correction. You know, they might be just like, shoot me straight, right? Tell me the hard stuff. Just punch me in the face and tell me the hard stuff. I want to hear it. But I think a lot of times Christians don't want to attach that correction to any kind of authority or accountability. So what they really want is consultation, not correction. It's like, tell me the hard stuff and I will consider what you have to say. And then I will decide whether I'm going to obey what you're saying there. But listen, I think there's real danger if we are not tethered to a biblical community that has authority and accountability in our lives. Because if we're not, then we begin to form our moral commitments and our theological commitments commitments in isolation. And then it's real easy to treat the church, uh, you know, in the Christian world like lubies, you know, just like a buffet. We're just like, I'll take that, I'll take that. That's, that looks nasty. I'm not taking that. And we, I'm going to stay away from that. And the problem with that is there's always someone or something out there that sounds good to us and then agrees with our theological leanings, right, with our moral leanings. We can find something on the internet somewhere that supports what we're believing and thinking. But what we really need is a biblically grounded community with biblically qualified leaders speaking into our lives, helping us vet our moral and theological leanings and convictions, right? Helping us see our error and our blind spots. Because if I'm drifting in my Christian life, I usually don't know it. I'm unaware of it. And so I need the church to correct me and to bring me back on course. That kind of correction is beautiful. And only membership provides it. For real. Only membership provides that kind of correction if we live into it. The last thing. Membership is beautiful because it promotes care. It provides correction. Lastly, it's beautiful because it images Christ. And it exalts Christ, actually. I mean, think about this for a minute. There's never been a moment in all of eternity when the Son of God has not been bound in perfect community. Like, the Son of God has never flown solo. He's never been unattached. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have always been bound as three persons together as one God. Like, always glorifying one another, always supporting one another, always working with one another, always promoting one another's purposes. Think about this, too. Jesus lived a life of submission. He prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He said, I don't speak on my own authority, but I only speak what my Father tells me to speak. Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death. You know what that means? That means his obedience cost him his life. Do you know how incredible that is? That the King of Kings was obedient? That the King of Kings lived a life under authority? So when the Bible says to to me and you as Christians that we should submit ourselves to the authority of a local church, it's simply saying you should live like that because it images Jesus. There's nothing more Christ-like you could do than to commit yourself to a community, to submit yourself to it, to stick with it, and to give yourself to the thriving of that community. 
When we do that, we end up with a community that the world is longing for. Like it's a community that serves each other with humility. It's a community that's, that's not competing with one another, but loving one another. It's a community that, that's committed to solving conflict. It's a community that doesn't cut and run when things get difficult. Like when we bug each other or offend each other, we're not bailing on each other. It's a community that's committed to the good of the world. That kind of community exalts Jesus because that kind of community says this is not possible without Jesus. So in that sense, church membership is missional, right? Church membership preaches good news to the world that that, that there's beauty and abounded life to be bound to one another in Christ. One of of the villains in in Jaber Crow, uh, she's not a villain in, in the sense that we typically think of a villain. She's just, you know, well, she's a bad guy um, in the story. Um, her name is Cecilia Overhold. And uh, Cecilia marries into the town of Port William, but she's, not, she's from the town next door. And so she never really gives herself to the Port William membership, the town of Port William. Um, and uh, in the novel, this is what it says about her. It says she lives as if there's always a better place for a person to live. She lives as if there's always better work to do somewhere else, a better spouse to get married to, better friends to have. So she's existing in the midst of this vibrant, happy community, but she's discontented, she's angry, and she's lonely right in the middle of the community because she's not committed to it. And here's how Matt McCullough ends his article about Wendell Berry novels. This is great. He says, too often we try on new churches like we try on new clothes and for much the same reason. We're looking for style and fit for what meets our needs. We put our churches in service of our desires and then our commitment doesn't outlast the better options of elsewhere. But there's freedom in coming off the market. There's sweet rest in belonging to one people, for better or for worse, with the opportunity for displaying costly, Christ-like love. And on the terms of 1 Corinthians 12, we've got to embrace our status as a mere hand or ear or foot, helpless apart from the other members, but happy so long as Christ is exalted and the body is thriving. This is boundedness for sure but it's liberating and it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I just want to say to you today, choose a bounded life, right? Choose to be a member of a local church. It doesn't have to be Providence Church, but if you are a Christian, commit yourself as a member of a local church. And if you already are a member of a local church, then remember and, and, and renew your membership vows. Like commit yourself to receive care and to give care. Recommit yourself to, 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 get, to give correction and receive correction. Like recommit yourself to submit your life to a community in the same way that Jesus submitted his life to the will of the Father so that others might benefit. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.